for us. This is why we remember him. We can't pay for our own sin. The tremendous price that had to be paid for our sin to be covered and once and for all removed from our account had to be Jesus' body on the cross. I'll give you 30 seconds or as long as the pianist plays one stanza of a song to pray and prepare your heart and thank the Lord for his broken body. After that stanza, we will eat. Open the cup. The same way Jesus also took the cup that night last night after supper and saying, This is the cup, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And a new covenant was based on the old covenant that required blood. And those uh, sacrifices, the old uh, the old covenant reminded Israel uh, who they belonged to. And Jesus inaugurates this new covenant. He inaugurates it with his own blood. And as we remember his blood, we remember that we are in a covenant, an agreement with our Savior. The moment of our salvation till we go to heaven for all eternity. And Christ has kept uh, the covenant for us. All of our sin is paid for. And we want to remember his uh, his blood. I'll give you uh, another stanza to uh, silently pray, and then after that I will pray and then we'll drink.
Father, for giving us your Son. Thank you for his broken body on the cross. Thank you for his blood that was spilled. It reminds us of this covenant that you have made with sinful men. If we will repent and trust Christ alone, that we can be your um, child, your sheep, you are shepherd, and you will never leave us nor forsake us. You will be with us always, even unto the end of the age. And I pray that uh, we would rejoice in our salvation uh, today, and we are thankful uh, for, for Christ. In his name we pray, amen. The strength and remembrance of him. First Corinthians chapter 15 is one of the richest chapters in our New Testament, laying out for us the landscape of the gospel, and in particular, one facet of the gospel, the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. What his death and resurrection is guaranteed, is sure, it motivates us. And it is our hope of when we put our bodies in the ground one day, they will not stay there, no matter how long it is until our Savior comes. His resurrection and our stable ministry. In one week, the Super Bowl will be played. Three years ago, 2019, you may have remembered a team, you may have heard of them, the Patriots. Uh, they're in the Super Bowl. And they won. Two years earlier than that, 2017, they won. 2015, they won. 2005, they won. 2004, February, they won. 2002, February, they also won their first. How motivated were you, if you are a Patriots fan, in February of one of those years, how motivated were you to let people know that you are a Patriots fan? How much did you enjoy talking to other Patriots fans that month? How motivated are you now to tell someone that you were a follower of Jesus? How motivated were you the moment that you were born again? The day after you were born again is probably better than when your football team wins the Super Bowl and you're motivated to tell somebody. After years of your salvation, could be weeks or months or years or even decades, after your salvation, how motivated are you now to speak of your Savior? So we don't realize at times that the connection of Christ's resurrection to our day-to-day -day life is very strong in this one verse that we're going to look at today. And it motivates us, Christ's resurrection motivates our hard work. We're going to look at just verse 58 today, and if I were to give you the 
um, the climax of the book of 1 Corinthians, it would be this verse. There are a lot of details, and if you study literature, there are details of a story, and there's a history and background of characters, and the, the plot develops, and you fear, realize who the bad guys are, and who are the good guys, and they're fighting, and you get to the battle at the end, or you get to something at the end that is the moment that you can't put the book down. You can't turn the movie off because this, this is the climax. Verse 58 in 1 Corinthians is the climax. We have seen from 1 Corinthians 1 to chapter 15 that our bodies are not ours. Our bodies have been can be used for carnal things, for fleshly things. We can act like children with our bodies as Christians. We can be immoral and incestuous like the guy in chapter 5. We can be, and we forget that our bodies were bought with a price. Therefore, we have to glorify God with our bodies. And even if you're married, 1 Corinthians uh, 7 tells us how to treat our spouse. And if you're not married, still use your body for ministering to God. And then in chapters 8 to 10, we see that your body is not yours about what you eat. You're not free to just eat whatever you want to eat because even in private, you're worried about other people's consciences and your own conscience, and you're trying to use your body for the glory of God in chapter 10. Whether therefore you eat or drink or do whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's our body. And then in chapter 11 to 14, we have all these Christians together in a church, and we can't use these physical bodies however we want to use them. Because they, you could abuse the Lord's table as they were in chapter 11, or you could uh, just want the spectacular gifts of chapter 12, and the body wasn't functioning very well, and we need to use these bodies to love one another and be uh, submissive and organized and not chaotic as we gather together in chapter 14. And now we get to chapter 15, and now we understand in chapter 15 why so much emphasis on the human body throughout this book comes to these bodies are not really ours. We got a flavor of that in chapter 6, and now that we see the gospel changes us, and it changes these physical bodies. And it changes them in a way that we don't want to use these bodies for us anymore. We want to use these bodies for him. And this one verse, if you do not have 1 Corinthians 15, 58 memorized, put it on your to-do list this week. Don't go through life without this verse. So you can, the, the point of memorization is so that you can meditate on it day and night. You lie in bed and you can't, you don't want to turn your phone on. You don't have to reach for your Bible. You've got this verse in your memory bank so that when you need it, the Holy Spirit can bring it off of the shelf of your mind and in front of you, your heart and your life and challenge you with the great truths of this verse. We read it. We have seen the glorious hope that is ours and the victory that is ours through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now Paul says in verse 58, as the climax of this book, Therefore, my beloved brothers. 
The number one, I believe, term for Christians to Christians in the New Testament is brothers. You know why that is? Because we're a family. We're unified in Christ. We're brothers. We, how do we talk to God? Our Father who is in heaven. We're part of the family of God, and we treat each other with respect and love because we are brothers in Christ. Paul says to these Corinthians, now he has told them a lot of hard things in this book. This is not an easy book. If you were in the Corinthian church, you would not feel good about yourself reading this book. You would feel like, can he just stop? Can we take a breather? No, he just keeps going after them and after them. They had a lot of issues. And when we get to chapter 15, it seems like, okay, Paul is not focused on them. He's focused on Christ and the resurrection. And now, what do we do with Christ and his resurrection, this victory that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ? And he starts with, therefore, tying it back to what he has said before, and he says, he calls them my beloved brothers. If you have ever sinned grievously, and there is a godly person that comes and puts their arm around you and says, listen, son, daughter, listen, brother, sister in Christ, you're special to God. That's what Paul does here. That's how he starts his verse. You are my beloved, he uses the word agape there, which we know from 1 Corinthians 13, self-sacrificing love. There is this basis uh, for the command that we're going to get to, and he starts with, you are my beloved brothers. Why do we need this passage, we don't often realize the connection, the strong connection between Christ's resurrection and our abounding in his work. We might know of our connection to the cross of Christ as we remember the Lord's death on a regular basis, but this passage connects our work for God to the resurrection of Christ. And we often don't put those two things together. We think of Jesus is alive. Oh, well, I better get busy. We don't often think that way, but this verse is going to challenge us to think that way. Christ is alive. We need to abound in his work. So our theme for this message, since all Christians are guaranteed a glorified body. Remember, the glorified body is one that is royally splendorous. Okay, you have the royal splendor, the elite today wear really, really nice clothes and everybody turns their head to look at them. But in heaven, everyone, every believer is going to have a glorified body. How do we know that? Because of the verses previous. In verses 35 to 49, we looked at that a couple weeks ago. Since we all are guaranteed a glorified body one day because of Christ's resurrection, then all Christians are to abound in his work say, I don't know if I want to abound in the work of the Lord. Okay, well, you need to meditate on 1 Corinthians 15 again. Look at it, study it, put yourself there. Think about the future when one day, if your body's in the ground, or your body's scattered somewhere on the, all over the face of the planet, one day the trumpet's going to sound, and the dead in Christ, which a lot of us might be dead, or the, the rapture may happen and we won't die, but we'll see the dead in Christ rise first. 
and then we who are alive are going to be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Jesus, God the Father, decides when Jesus is going to come and take us off of the earth. And if it's after we die, uh, we are expecting for sure that our body's not going to stay in the ground. We're not just going to be particles floating in the atmosphere. We're not going to just be worm food. We are going to be alive again. And if we're going to be alive again based on Jesus' resurrection, why would we not want to give ourselves to his work now? He's the only one that is going to make us alive. And he's the only one worth giving our lives to. Here is your command. Verse 58. Be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And the basis for this command is the gospel that is preached by Paul. So hold your hand here and go back to the, if, if you need to turn one page back to the beginning of chapter 15 and look for similar language that sounds like immovable and steadfastness. Look at chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. Hmm, okay. And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Okay, so you see the word in verse, uh, end of verse 1, in which you stand. In verse 2, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. Standing and holding fast. This is how we live as Christians. This is why Ephesians says we need the whole armor of God to stand against the wiles of the devil. And having done all, to stand. So Paul starts with verse 58 with the relationship. It's a beloved relationship. It's a relationship that the Corinthians would agree and would really appreciate them being called my beloved brothers. You know, the longer that I'm here as pastor, the more you guys are my beloved church. I love being here. I love coming to church. I love talking with you. I love getting together with you because you're beloved to me. I can understand Paul's heart for the Corinthians. He had a lot of churches and he loved those people enough to tell them hard things in this book. And the basis for his command is a close relationship. And as the closer we have a relationship with other people, whenever we see someone around us who is forgetting verse 58, we can put our arm around them. And it doesn't just have to be a pastor or a pastor's wife. We can put our arm around them and say, my beloved brother or sister, I want you to encourage you to be steadfast and immovable and abounding in the work of the Lord. The closer your relationship with someone, the more they can take the weight of a rebuke or a command like this. And the basis of this command is a relationship that Paul has with his audience. The basis of our command is the content of chapter 15, the sure resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about this. Because Jesus is alive, 
we will be too. Forever. We will forever be alive in heaven. So how does this affect our life today? The context of 1 Corinthians 15 is the first basis. The second basis is the relationship the preacher has with his people. He calls them beloved brothers. The first word, beloved, is from that agape root, self-sacrificing love. The second, brothers, is the brotherly relational love, a natural love that uh, people have when they're in a family, an expected love that people have for each other in a church. And so there's this basis for the command. Now the basics of the command in the second phrase. My beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable. I'm looking for more help with these two words. So I looked at the New King James and the New American Standard. And you know what they say in those translations? Be steadfast and immovable. It says the same thing. Okay, so now i got to go to Greek and look at the Greek words, see if there's any more help. Um, and a definition was helpful with the steadfast, conclu concluding a matter with conviction. Okay, a quote from a, a Bible, um, a dictionary. Concluding a matter with conviction. This is the conclusion of the explanation of the gospel and the resurrection of Christ and how that affects us. And so Paul says, be steadfast. A conviction is something that you will live and die by. Something that someone won't change you unless they have, a, unless they have truth that you don't have. And if you have the truth that we have conviction about a lot of things in uh, theological conviction, because we know what God is like. We know what God has said in his word, and so we have conviction that we will one day rise again, that we should live. We have victory, verse 57, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so we should be steadfast. And then, verse, uh, second uh, word there, be immovable. This is firm or steady. Sounds similar. Yes, they are parallel. The only reasonable response to be steadfast and immovable is for what 1 Corinthians 15 is telling us to do. What are we to be steadfast and immovable in? Okay, well, let's look back at, see the context in verse 2, 3, 11, and 12. Okay, so let's look at verse 2. Paul saying, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you had believed in vain. So Paul has preached the gospel to them, and they have believed, but not in vain, without any results. They have believed with results. Then verse 3, for I delivered to you of first importance what I also received. So Paul received the gospel. Paul's delivering it to them of first importance. So it sounds like in verses 2 and 3 that the preaching or the deliverance of truth is, is what Paul is saying. This is, well, I preached to you, you believed, I delivered to you what I received, so this is how the ministry works. We speak and people receive God's word. As they receive God's word, they speak 
to other people who receive God's word. And those people who receive God's word are now speaking and delivering, and this is how the church multiplies. That it's not just a few people doing all the work. If you have received the word of God that was preached to you and the gospel has saved you, you are to abound in the work of the Lord. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. Verse 11 of chapter 15 says, Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. Verse 12, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Verse 14, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain, and we are even found to be misrepresenting God. But Christ is alive. And since he's alive, we have this message that the world desperately needs. The world desperately needs to know there is a Savior for your sins. You are a sinner. You are on your way to a Christless, hopeless eternity. Eternity is a very, very long time that no one can comprehend because God didn't make our minds to be able to comprehend it. He made us our minds to go into overload when we try to think of eternity. You know why? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And people should be afraid of spending eternity apart from God and being tortured forever. We as believers, because of our hope in the resurrection, we are to be steadfast and immovable with this message. Christ died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. And we encourage and plead with people to believe the gospel. This is what, as beloved brothers, the Corinthians needed. They had so much division, so much uh, uh, excusing sin, so much uh, chaos and, and confusion as they gathered together as God's people. Paul said, we're all about the gospel. We just need to stand firm in this. I proclaim this to you. You believed it. You received it. And he says it several times in this, in this chapter that I proclaimed and you believed and we preach Christ and we preach him resurrected and he is our victory. And we need to be steadfast and immovable and this is the command for all believers. This is your command. It's not just mine. It's not just other people who are in ministry. It's not just for the Corinthians in the first century. All believers, if you're a beloved brother, this command, or sister, this command is for you. To be steadfast and immovable. I'm not changing. We're not changing the, the, the doctrine, the truth that we're going to teach. We're not going to cater it to our audience if they don't like what we say. We're going to be steadfast and immovable, and this is what we're going to do. Verse 58, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know what the word abounding means? It means your bucket's full and it's overflowing, and you better turn off the water. The sink is full and it's running onto the floor. Turn off the water. Okay, your hands are full and you can't carry one more bag of groceries. 
Okay, whatever picture you want to imagine of abounding, you have too much. It's like going to the drive-thru and the, the cost of your food is $12. And you say, Dad, do you have $12? He opens his wallet and it's full of 20s. You're like, we're good. We can pay $12 because dad's loaded, all right? He has an abundance of money. Whatever we need, God has grace to abound to us. And that we respond to our Savior and his future resurrection of these bodies by we are abounding in his work. So what does abounding look like whenever it comes to ministry? I'm trying to do as much as I possibly can for Jesus Christ. That's what abounding is. This is what abounding doesn't look like. You know what? Let me check my schedule. Oh, no, I don't have any free time. This whole year, my schedule's full. I can't do anything more and you aren't doing anything to begin with when it comes to the work of the ministry. I can't talk to one more person. I can't teach one more class. I can't volunteer for one more nursery. I can't push one more vacuum. I can't shovel one more snowflake. You just, and some people, you, you get that way in life, right? Because you might be abounding at the wrong things. If your kids are in sports, it is likely that sports can dominate your schedule and you're abounding in sports. I've been there. I love, I love sports. I love sports as a kid. My parents had to say, no, John, you can't. No, you can't play that. No, you can't play that. If it's on Wednesday and Sunday, no, you can't play that. They had to hold me back because I would have abounded in sports. Some people abound in video games. And they, they fill their schedule with it. Some people abound with their latest show. And it could be a channel that you just binge. And you abound in it. You know every character. You are abound in, in movies. You abound in work. And you have no time for anything because you're abounding in things that, while it might be good to work hard, and we have to work hard because uh, cost of living is going up. Right? We get that. But you need to ask yourself, do I want to be known as abounding in something other than what this verse says? Or do I want to be known as abounding in the work of the Lord? This is your command, to be steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. So your command is to be steadfast and immovable. Doing what? Oh, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Christ's work. Let's go back to, hold your hand here, and go back to John 6, verse 27 and 20 through 29, and we'll see the same word, work, mentioned as Jesus tells people what his work is and their response to God's work. John 6, after, this is the passage where Jesus says he is the bread of life. This is after he has fed the 5,000 and people are flocking to him thinking, 
we're going to get some more free food. And Jesus says to them, verse 25 of John 6, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? He walked on the water to get there, I believe. And Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And here's the word work that Jesus says. Verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes. Same word, work as in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. But for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Same word as, as 1 Corinthians. Verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Whoa, pretty clear, right? What is the work of God? Someone says to you, are you in the ministry? Now, I can say yes, but you can say as a Christian, if you're a beloved brother, yes, I am. I'm in the ministry. I'm doing the work of God. And they say, could, could I do, what, what should I do for God? And you say, believe in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus said. If you want to be part of what God is doing, the work of God, and the, 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 work here, the, the word for work here is job or task. When Robert Kraft came to the Patriots in the mid-1990s, he started the slogan of, do your job. Other NFL teams, I think, have modeled or tried to imitate that. From what I could tell, it wasn't a Bill Belichick thing, but he obviously is uh, concerned about doing his job too. But here is a job that all of us has. It's a task. What is the task of every unbeliever? God's task for every unbeliever is they believe in Jesus Christ alone. That's what Jesus says. That's the work of God in John 6. Now let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15. And he says to believers now, abound in the work of the Lord. If you go down to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 10, it says, When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So what is the work of the Lord? It's the work that the Lord would do if he was here. He would go seek and save those who were lost. He would go and spend time with people like Zacchaeus or demoniacs, people caught in adultery, and other outcasts. And he would tell them, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. And he's the king, standing there talking to them. Our ministry is to tell people that Jesus has come. And if they will repent and trust him alone, they can be part of God's family and never fear death, as we heard in the introduction to our service today. People are in slavery to fear. And when you and I are free from that slavery to fear, and we don't fear death, we can abound in the work 
of the Lord. If we are scared to death of sickness, we will not abound in the work of the Lord. You know what we will abound in? Trying to find ways to stay away from a sickness. It's not wrong to stay away from sickness. I don't want to get anybody sick here, and I know all of you and your heart is not to get anybody else sick. But that's not the work of the Lord. The work of the Lord wasn't just to physically heal everyone he came in contact with, and he did heal a lot of people. But you know what? He left some people sick. And he taught people about a kingdom. Our ministry to always abound in it is a constant. You see the word ing or the abounding? It's constant. And if you miss the abounding, he puts the word always in front of it. Okay, this is a constant thing. We're always looking to minister for God. We're doing God's work. What did Jesus say? I'm, I'm here not to do my own work, but the work of my Father who sent me. So the moment that we turn from our sin and trust Christ is the moment that we can start abounding in the work of the Lord. And we must do it. Parents, you must abound in the work of the Lord with your kids. If your kids reject Jesus, they ought to reject them. After years of you showing them how wonderful he is. How glorious he is. And your job is to abound in the work of the Lord. Whoever is around you as a beloved brother, your job is to help them to walk with their Savior. If they don't know their Savior, then it's like John 6, where you're telling them to trust Christ. That is their work of the Lord. That's their job. That's their task. So here's our task. Always be abounding in the work of the Lord. How do we do this? How do we, how do we keep going? How do we endure this? Because, you know, as a pastor, I really get tired of abounding in the work of the Lord. There are days that I'm like, I know. I'm done. I'm done. I just want to go play golf. I just want to turn my phone off, not check the email, not come into the office, not study anymore. I just want to go sit on the beach, not on a day like today. I just want to be done. Have you ever been there? Like you just don't want a parent anymore. You don't want to witness to your unsaved relatives one more time. You're just done. You don't want to go to any more neighbors. You don't want to meet anybody new. you got enough people in your life, and they provide enough uh, time constraints, and you just don't want to do one more thing. Or you just want to quit. You say, I've talked about Jesus enough to enough people. God can use somebody else. You need this verse. This is why you need to memorize this verse, because this verse will come back as your friend over and over again, because we need to be abounding in the work of the Lord. But while we're abounding, we need to remember something. This isn't my work. This is Christ's work. This isn't the job that I chose. This is Christ choosing me before the foundation of the world. And anyone else that I would speak to that God is going to choose them, he might use me to speak to them. But this is Christ's work. 
This isn't my work. I don't have fingerprints all over people's lives and their soul because of my ministry to them. No, this is Christ's ministry. So we abound in Christ's work. We come to church because this is Christ's job for us. We talk to people around us because this is Christ's ministry for us. We shepherd our kids and we shepherd those in our church and we disciple them to follow Christ and keep following Christ and encourage them to abound in Christ's work because it's worth it. And if we get discouraged and we want to quit, we are reminded of the last phrase. Knowing, so as we're abounding, notice the ING also on knowing, probably always goes with this as well, always knowing that in the Lord, so if we're doing it for the Lord, we're doing the Lord's work, the Lord's way, and we're discouraged, we need to know this and keep knowing it, that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. That's a different word than work. You know what that word labor means? Hard work, sweat, like chipping ice when it doesn't want to be chipped on your driveway or car. That's hard work. That's awful. I want to move to Florida after the storm. God doesn't have work for me in Florida. He has work for me here. God has work for you here. He wants you to be abounding in that work. And while you're abounding, and if you don't want to abound anymore, you're forgetting something. So you need to know this. You need to know that our hard work is not in vain. Vain is the same word that was mentioned back in verse 10 and 14. Our preaching is not in vain. Our faith is not in vain. What does that mean? That, me that means that our hard work is not empty, foolish, or stupid. That's what that word vain means. Empty, foolish, or stupid. Have you ever done work? Well, maybe you had to uh, shovel drive a driveway and then... Uh, that last storm we had, the 14 inches or so, was so windy that it could have drifted. It closed again. And you're like, or you have a snowblower and you're throwing snow into the wind and it's coming back toward you. You're like, all right, this is pointless. Right, it is. There are some jobs that are empty. After we've spent a lot of time doing them, I can't switch that, guys, so you can switch the slide. Um, We will work hard if we see progress, but when we don't see progress, we're like, I'm done. Why keep snow blowing if it's just going to blow back shut and I'll have to do it again tomorrow? I'll just wait till the wind's done, the snow's done, I'll do it once. Right? We think that way. How about if we are telling people about Jesus and abounding in the work of the Lord, and people scoff at us and say, who in their right mind? does something so foolish as every conversation they try to talk about Jesus. Oh. And they call you stupid or a fool or whatever other derogatory term. And they say, you are wasting your time. And I don't know about you, but I don't like wasting time. And if you are doing the Lord's work and the world says, you're wasting your time. We can believe the world or we can believe the Lord. What's the Lord say in this verse? 
we have to know that while we're doing His work and we're in the Lord, we're doing it for Him. Our hard work, really hard, blood, sweat, and tears type of work is not in vain. It's not in vain. So when the world says something like this, or our flesh says something like this, serving Jesus Christ is a waste of time. Speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ is for other Christians. God has nothing to do, has nothing for me to do, you might say in your own heart. You might also say private prayer is pointless. Prayer meeting is not the best use of my time. Reading, studying, meditating in God's word does nothing for me or my family or anything else that we know we're supposed to be doing as Christians and we're not doing it. The world is always going to tell Christians you're wasting your time doing the Lord's work because they don't believe the Lord and they're not following him. But if we're trusting Christ and following him, he wants us to be abounding in the work of the Lord. And while we're abounding and it's hard work and while we want to give up and say, I'm done, I just don't want to talk to one more person. I don't want to help anybody else. I just, I just want to break. We need to know that our, in the Lord, our labor is not empty, foolish, or stupid. So for us today, would Will you apply this verse? If you have been convicted by the Holy Spirit right now, you're watching other Christians abound in the work of the Lord. And if you have been here any length of time, you know who in our church is abounding in the work of the Lord and who is not. Because you can see who's doing all the ministry here. You can see it. This is something that we hide. Okay, abounding in the work of the Lord is public ministry. You can hear when people come and say, I got to share the gospel again. I'm praying for my neighbor because I got to talk to him and build a relationship with him. And then he talked to me and it was great. And we talk about the Lord to our kids. And we may have wayward children. And you may have children that have walked away from the Lord. And you don't stop abounding in your work of the Lord toward them. You guys can just add the next. Okay. If you are not abounding in the work of the Lord, and those closest to you would say, when I read this verse, your name doesn't come close to this. You're not abounding in the work of the Lord. You might be a buffet Christian where you go through the buffet. Oh, I like that. I'll do that, and that's all I'm going to do. I got my ministry. It doesn't require hardly anything of me, not a lot of my free time. I can do it whenever, and I'm in complete control of my life. This is not how Christianity works. This is how selfish Christianity works. This is where the Corinthians really needed motivation. They weren't abounding in the work of the Lord. They were abounding in selfish ministry for themselves. And if this is you, if you have been encouraged by someone here at church, hey, you should consider this ministry. You would be good at this. And you have excuse after excuse after excuse. And your friend loves you and they're going to give you another ministry. And you say, you know what? Not, not me. Nope. Find someone else. 
And you know what happens? 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Why? Because people don't know 1 Corinthians 15, 58. And they're definitely not applying it. And you have to repent. This means change your mind about not abounding in his work. So if this is you today, you need to repent. There is so much ministry to do here and around us that if all of us were abounding, we still wouldn't get it all done. And if a few people are abounding, there's no chance of us getting it all done. There are people around you that God wants you to share Christ, and if you're not thinking, I've got to abound in the work of the Lord today, you're missing it. You're missing opportunities. You guys can uh, advance just the next two slides. Just put it all up. All right, and then to be abounding in the work of the Lord, needs to be, you need to be prepared, and you need to prioritize. If Christ's work is of utmost importance to your life and you're going to abound in it, you're going to have to plan to do so. It's not going to be a natural thing that just happens to fall on the calendar and you just happen to do it. No, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be something that you put on the calendar. You say, nothing is getting on the calendar during this time because this is going to be part of my work for the Lord. And as a church, we have a calendar that's Sunday morning and Wednesday. And if Wednesday night doesn't work, Wednesday morning doesn't work, check with someone. We would love to pray with you during the week. We want you to be praying as a church with other believers. If you have to watch online occasionally, that is fine. If you want uh, someone to study the Bible with you, let me know. And we want to help you to abound in the work of the Lord. But you have to be prepared. That's why we give you evangelistic tools and tracks available and ways to talk to your friends. That's why as you come here and listen to other people evangelize, you're motivated and you're preparing to share the gospel with someone. Um, That's part of preparation. And you're praying. You're praying for God to use you. You're praying for opportunities. God, put a needy person in my life today. That's being prepared. Now, prioritizing. You put something on the calendar, and it it takes priority. Nothing takes that place. Um, Work for many of us is a priority. Uh, Sleep is a priority. Uh, Possibly a football game next week is a priority. You've already got it planned. You prioritize it. Nothing else comes on next Sunday night at 6.20 because you know what time the game is. Maybe some of you don't like football, so you have something else that is your prioritized plan. But you have to prioritize abounding in Christ's work. And then if you're doing this, okay, you are abounding. People in church would agree you are abounding in the work of the Lord. Will you continue to do so? Because it's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to get discouraged. Easy to say, okay, I'm done. Someone else can do it. If God has given you physical ability to do more for him, then you can do it. And sometimes you can't. I get that. Sometimes... Uh, God doesn't allow you to have any more energy and um, just to pay your bills, just to have one ministry. But every, every Christian ought to have at least one ministry. And some of you could have multiple ministries. Will you continue abounding in his work? If you've stopped and you used to abound, go back to the end of verse 58. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You probably have forgotten that in the Lord your labor was in vain. Okay, no, it's not in vain. Keep going. What's the worst thing that could happen to you? 
If you're abounding in the Lord's work and you have a heart attack and you go to heaven, not a problem. They put your body in the ground and one day it's going to come up and it's going to glorify God. Okay? What, what is, what's hard for us, if you, if you are abounding in the work of the Lord, you look around and you encourage people and they say, oh, I just don't have time. And they are on social media so much and they play so many video games and they're watching every show and you're like, get rid of your devices. And you have so much time. And maybe some of you may need a different, a different job because your job requires so much of you or you need to prioritize something different. God will give you wisdom if this is your heart. God will show you how to abound in his work. And I hope 1 Corinthians 15 is motivation for all of us to keep going or to start going uh, and abounding in his work. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word. Help us to abound in the work of the Lord. Help us to know as we're abounding that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Convict those here today who are selfish with their time and their calendar and their lives and want to be in complete control. I pray that you'd convict them of, of not abounding in your work, abounding in their own work. I pray for those here who are discouraged and ready to quit, that uh, you would help them to know this and help them to prioritize other things in their life so they can keep abounding for you. Thank you for this truth. Help us as a church to live this out now uh, because there's so many people around us that need the gospel and they need to grow. In Jesus' name, amen.